listening to the right podcast. Don't panic. The music's different, but it is what remains of the uh, Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday, December the 16th. And if you say, where's Chris? Well, then you missed yesterday's special edition We Tackle Life podcast, which was released about 2.25 p.m. uh, as requested uh, by Chris on Monday's podcast or I guess that was Tuesday's podcast. I have to remember, we recorded Tuesday's podcast on Monday when we knew that Chris was going to be introduced as the special assistant to the president, CEO, and owner of the Detroit Lions. We couldn't tell you that Monday. We haven't been able to tell you that for the past week because we wanted the Lions to be able to make their own headlines, as they should. So I knew and Chris told me that yesterday was the day the Lions were going to announce it. So Monday morning after we finished our normal Monday podcast, we recorded about a 25-minute Tuesday edition because you guys have been loyal to us. And we wanted you to know straight from Chris why he's accepting a position with the Lions. And I'm so thrilled for him. I wrote about it on PressProsMagazine.com. Click on the OSU tab when you go there, or click on my tab, and you'll find it. Uh, you'll also find it under my Twitter, at Behools, on the uh, We Tackle Life Twitter. This podcast will continue, although I'm honestly not sure in what way it will continue. Maybe it's three days a week. Uh, certainly, it'll frequently have more guests. I don't envision it having a permanent co-host or partner like Chris was, because as we joked about many times... But as is also true, two things can be true at once, this was a bigger podcast when Chris was here because Chris has a tremendous reach, a tremendous following. And from my position, it was always great to have him on the podcast, which was his idea to start, not mine. Um, He has tremendous wisdom. And that's why I think he's going to be very successful as the special assistant to the president, CEO, and owner of the Lions because as I wrote and as I said yesterday, and I will say to anyone who asked me, He's a much different guy than he was when drafted by the Lions with the, as he prefers, 29th overall pick in the 1988 NFL draft. He's been polished by the floodwaters of life. You know, um, the whole erosive effect of water and of pressure is undeniable. Similarly, drawing a parallel to life, the pressures of life, the floodwaters of life have a way of revealing deep things about us. And while Chris has been quick to point out that losing his wife to a 12-year cancer battle does not make him unique, uh, it made him very useful as a person in tandem with Stephanie, in tandem with their family, in tandem with Chris's uh, wife, Carrie, that can impact people. And I'm excited about him. I, I think he'll do a great job with the Lions on the football side. I'm more excited for him and about him because we in Central Ohio and throughout the state of Ohio have had the opportunity to benefit from the inspirational impact he's made on us with his uh, late wife, Steph, with his family, with his kids, with his wife, Carrie, now. And we tried to make an impact with this podcast. When we talked about it in August of 2019, when he called me out of the blue and said, hey, why don't, I don't want to do radio in Columbus anymore. I want to do a podcast with you. I said, well, 
I don't want to do a just sports podcast, you know, because I moved on from that in my priorities um, to a point where I felt like whatever I did with the final 15 to 20 years of my life professionally, I wanted it to be of great impact. And the reason why I wanted it to be of great impact is because as one of my best friends, I look at Chris and the impact he, his family, Steph, Curry have had on everyone, and I think that's what you should be doing, Bruce, and devote yourself to something like that. Not necessarily in the cancer realm, but in wherever God fits me in. I hope that's 98.9, the answer, 5 to 7, hopefully soon to expand. That's a platform that I cherish, and it's a platform that I'm honestly still trying to figure out what to do with, how to do it every day. What is the show? I have a better, clearer idea of what the show is. I don't want it to be than I what I want it to be. So that's why I've asked for you guys to pray. Chris has been a great source of um, tunneling me down on that. And so I'm just thrilled for him. But it does change this podcast. And you guys have been loyal, 2,000 more of you who subscribe to it. We're very appreciative of that. Uh, we have sponsors that I love doing business with and being in partnership with. And I want to continue to serve them to whatever extent that I can. So I'd appreciate what you guys want the podcast to be. Email me your ideas. SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. I've had some thoughts on that. And uh, I've gotten some additional direction on that. And I appreciate that because ultimately this podcast is about serving you. About helping you grow. About helping you see some things maybe through a different prism than you have uh, typically viewed them through. Sometimes that makes people uncomfortable. Sometimes that offends people. But hopefully most of the time, it benefits people. So that's what uh, we're about. The reception to Chris being hired in Detroit, off the chart positive. Why wouldn't it be? He's a Lions great, still the all-time leading tackler for the Lions. And he brings to the table all his expertise being around great NFL coaches and players at Fox, having his brother Rick, GM of the Vikings, who they've talked deeply about leadership things and how Rick's hired coaches and how Rick's dealt with players and agents and all that. Well, Chris has a wide perspective of knowledge, and the Lions are smart to put him to use in a way that I think will benefit their franchise on the field and off. Some emails we've received since then from David. Bruce, I've been listening since the beginning of the podcast before that, also when you and Chris did radio. I've been a fan of yours since before that, listening on Cleveland radio. It goes back a ways. I hope you'll continue with the same format, maybe add more guests like Doug LaMaurice and Dustin Fox. The sports are great, but the faith portion is what keeps me coming back. I love your insight around all things Buckeyes and Browns. I pray you'll keep this podcast going. Tell Chris Detroit has a new fan. Of course, only when they're not playing the Browns, but now I have an NFC team. You guys are amazing together. Um, so talented, and the sports podcast world needs you in the faith portion. Well, thank you. And I know Chris thanks you. Uh, Guest-wise, look, here's the deal, honestly. <clears throat> I do a different show on 98.9 than I do here on this podcast. Now, I'm respectful of the audience that we have, but have I not talked about certain topics here with Chris in a public way because I wanted to protect my friend from a culture out there that loves to pick one thing and try to cancel you over. Yeah, that's the answer. Of course, we've stayed away from some controversial things. 
And without Chris here, I don't have to worry about tainting him, which, you know, it's everything's it's ridiculous anybody would try to taint him for something I say. But that's the world we live in. We don't live in a fantasy world. We don't live in a fair world. We live in the real world. So I don't think I will make this podcast the same as the afternoon show on radio. That'd be dumb. I've got a platform to do what I do on radio, to do what I'm called to do and asked to do by Salem Media and WTOH. I don't need to duplicate that here. But here's why I said that. Are there people who used to routinely come on the radio with me on sports side? Are there people who have come on this podcast who have been asked to come on this podcast again when Chris is here? Chris is not here, rather. Are there people who have since declined those invitations because they flat out said, I can't be associated with you anymore because I read your Twitter and I see how I see how adamant you are about certain things that you believe. Put it that way. I'm not going to get into specifics because I don't want anyone canceled. I don't like to be canceled. I don't want Chris to try. I don't want people to try to cancel Chris. And I'm not going to be a party to anybody out there who may hear this trying to cancel someone for making their own decision, which they're rightfully entitled to do, which is to not come on the podcast. So it's not as easy to get guests on this podcast as it used to be before I became determined to speak up for things that I firmly believe with all my heart are truth, not my truth, but the truth, grounded in biblical truth and the Word of God, I will not apologize for that. I will not change my commitment to the truth if it keeps me from bringing you a guest or two or 10 or 20 who don't want to be linked to me. That's their right. I didn't want Chris to be imperiled by being associated with me, nor do I want anyone to be imperiled by being associated with me. But you guys listen, you know, I'm pro-life unabashedly, unapologetically pro-life. I'm pro-police. I'm pro-good police. And I believe the overwhelming supermajority of police are good police. I believe in the rule of law. I believe in waiting for processes to work, investigations to work, before protests start, before rioting starts, before looting starts. I believe in all those things. I believe in our Constitution and so I won't apologize for those things. I'm, I'm a person who's been changed by <clears throat> Chris often stating a phrase, know what you believe and know why you believe it. I used to always know what I believed, but I didn't really know why. Now I absolutely know why. And uh, much like Chris citing a verse from Esther the other day saying he's headed to Detroit for such a time as this, feeling like God's prepared him for this position— I'm on this podcast doing what I do on this podcast and doing what I do at 98.9 The Answer because that's what God gave me for this time. And that's what I'm going to continue to do. So hopefully we can have some guests on, but if there's some you want and we don't get them, it's probably not from lack of asking. It's probably from their perfectly um, 
perfectly uh, fine desire not to be associated with me because I stand for things they don't believe are true. Here's for uh, an email from Brett, SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. Bruce and Chris Hardy, congratulations to both of you and your new endeavors. I wish you much success, Bruce, with your radio show and Chris on your position with the Lions. I'll very much miss your We Tackle Life podcast. You already know how I feel about your discussions on sports and faith. That The faith part only added to that. From your days together at The Fan to your show at The Zone, in the last year plus with your podcast, I've been an avid listener and follower. I've always admired your work. You've been informative, entertaining. I've learned much from your faith portions. Many thanks. I wish you and your families a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. That's from Brett. Brett has been Brett is <laughs> Brett has been with us as long as we've been an us. Uh, first golf outing that I attended at the fan, um, Brett and Tony, his buddy. Uh, came up and bonded with Chris and I, and we have uh, been in touch with them and stayed in touch with them over the years. Brett's a wonderful guy. So is Tony. And um, this is the great part about doing this. Uh, I get a lot of uh, negative, snarky stuff on Twitter, and that's okay. I believe in freedom and liberty and free speech, and that includes speech that you know I don't like. But it's always cool when you bond with somebody who really, really likes you. Okay. So uh, send me your thoughts on the podcast, what you'd like for it to be, knowing the... Uh, parameters in which we're operating. Chris called me today and was over the moon with his reception in Detroit, and uh, his phone has been ringing off the hook with guys who want to be coach of the Lions and want to be GM of the Lions, and that's fine. He's, you know, We jokingly said that he never knew how many people he gave his cell phone number to. So he's going to be immersed in that. He said yesterday, uh, as he left my place, he said um, that he wants to continue to do some of the faith stuff on an irregular basis. So I'm going to give him all the room in the world. It won't be for a while because i got to hire a coach and a GM, and that may take them until mid to the end of January. So I'm going to let Chris make the decision on that, but he'll always be welcome here, and he knows that. As for the name of the podcast, honestly, I know I'm going to change it because it's not fair to people to market it as, obviously, Spielman and Hooley if Chris is not on it, but I haven't delved into yet whether subscribers under that name can be transferred to a new name um, whether I have to find a different podcast platform because they won't switch it to whatever it becomes. Suggest a new name for the podcast, if you like. Um, so it'll continue under this label. I'll have all that buttoned up by the first of the year. But we'll continue to do this podcast and uh, talk about the things that are going on with the teams that you care about, first and foremost of which, of course, is Ohio State. Buckeyes playing the Big Ten title game Saturday at noon. Noon, don't operate under the... Uh, recollection, well, Big Ten title game is always on Saturday night. It has always been on Saturday night, but this year it's at noon on Saturday. So <clears throat> I'm sure that was TV-driven by Fox. Ohio State and Northwestern. Don't think we're going to have any COVID issues with that one, but COVID has claimed the Michigan-Iowa game. And you can say, if Jim Harbaugh returns as coach at Michigan, this uh, in the fall of 2020, you can absolutely say that COVID saved Jim Harbaugh's job. There is no doubt in my mind COVID saved Jim Harbaugh's job. They're two and four if if it does. They're two and four. They would have been two and five if they played Ohio State. They likely, eh, 50-50, let's say it that way, 50-50, could have been two and six had they played Maryland. Maryland beat Penn State at Penn State. And where you play them doesn't matter because, of course, there are no fans. 
They were supposed to play Iowa this week on championship weekend, two and seven. Yeah, let's say they win Maryland. They're not beating Ohio State, and they're not beating Iowa. They're three and three and six at best. Three and six at best, and he's gone. So if he's back, and I've gone from a guy who Ohio State fans didn't want Jim Harbaugh at Michigan because they feared what he'd do with Michigan to a guy who Ohio State fans want Jim Harbaugh at Michigan because what he hasn't done with Michigan. Uh, if he's back, COVID saved his job. There's no doubt in my mind. Interesting story today in the Detroit News. <clears throat> Excuse me, Detroit Free Press. Give it uh, the credit that it deserves because it's very well done. I do not know this person. I don't know if they're male or female. Rainer Sabin. R-A-I-N-E-R-S-A-B-I-N. No idea who that is, but they did a great job on this story, which is called On Signing Day. Yes, today is signing day. Woohoo! Michigan football's vanishing act in Ohio is an open wound. You better believe it is. That is at the heart of the failure of Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. He has not brought in Ohio recruits at a time when Ohio State has been prone to go outside Ohio for players. I don't know if over the last five to six years it's been a down cycle in the state of Ohio. My guess is no. There's always a bunch of players from the state of Ohio. But tell me that Jim Harbaugh wouldn't have been better off with Benny Snell from Westerville South at tailback, who's now in the NFL and did great at Kentucky in the SEC. Tell me he wouldn't have been better off with Benny Snell than the dreck he's been putting out there at tailback. (laughs) I think that's inarguable. So the story on the Free Press says, and it starts out with Ted Ginn Sr. When Jim Harbaugh got the Michigan job, I said the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry will go to the next level, back to the old 10-year war level, when Jim Harbaugh wins in Ohio Stadium. I didn't say if, because I was sure, eventually, he's going to win in Ohio Stadium. Eventually, you're an Ohio State coach, you're going to have to win at Michigan. When he wins in Ohio Stadium against the Buckeyes, and when he gets a recruit out of the state of Ohio, that Ohio State wants. I assumed those two things would automatically happen. Neither one has ever happened. And that's why the fact that he never got a guy Ohio State wanted out of the state of Ohio is why he's never won a game in Ohio Stadium or a game against him, period. Who do you have to be simpatico with? If you're Michigan's head football coach, where would you start? You say, well, gee, Bruce, uh, in my mind, I'm picturing Ted Ginn Jr., Dante Whitner, uh, Troy Smith, all these guys. I'm thinking maybe it would be a good idea to get on a first-name basis with Ted Ginn Sr. with Glenville. Yeah, I would think that too, since one of the first guys out of Glenville to the D1 football realm was Pierre Woods. Ohio State wanted Pierre Woods bad in the Cooper era. Couldn't get him. Pierre Woods went to Michigan. Has Michigan done well in the state of Ohio over the years? Yes. Going all the way back to Denny Franklin and Tom Darden and continuing through Elvis Gerbach, Desmond Howard, Marcus Ray, uh, Mario Manningham, Ricky Powers. Noticing a trend. (laughs) A lot of great Michigan players are Ohio guys. Because, what? Kids all have a contrarian streak in them, right? Yeah, they do. Even young Chris Spielman told his father, I think I'll go to Michigan. And Sonny said, I'll tell you where you're going to go. You're going to go to Ohio State. 
issue settled. Even Chris Spielman wanted to be a contrarian and go to Michigan. So that exists. And at a time when Ohio State is recruiting more out-of-state kids than ever before, Harbaugh should have made hay off that. Instead, he's become strangely fascinated with New England recruits because everybody knows New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, they produce a bevy of unrecognized college football talent. Not so. Ted Ginn Sr. quote in this story by Rainer Sabin in the Detroit Free Press. I can remember a time when coaches had to come through Glenville, whether you wanted to or not. You had to have it on the schedule. You had to have Ohio players. But uh, in the Wolverines' last signing class, 23, none of them were from Ohio. And the class they're expected to sign this year, 21 commitments, one of them is from Ohio. A safety, I'm sure he's a better player than his three-star rating. He better be if they have any hope. Rod Moore of Northmont. It's a suburb of Dayton, Clayton Northmont. So, <laughs> you know, they got away from this during the Rich Rod era. Brady Hoke came in, first day he's on a job. This is all in the story. You should read it. It's free. It's not a subscriber story. Brady Hoke called Ted Ginn Sr., said, I want to get back in there. They also talked to the coach at Warren Harding. Does Warren Harding have players? Well, yeah. Maurice Claret was a Warren Harding guy. Mario Manningham, Warren Harding guy. Steve Arnold, the head coach at Warren Harding. He says, where are the Ohio kids at on Michigan's roster? If you're in the recruiting department within that university, this is Warren Harding's coach talking, why aren't you paying close attention to knowing what type of football this state has and how good it's been to your program? It's a fair question. Very fair question. Oh, I left out a Michigan great from Ohio. How about Jake Butt from Pickerington? Jake Butt tells the Detroit Free Press, there are some good football players in Ohio. You look at some of Michigan's all-time greats, blah, 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 blah. In Harbaugh's final year as a Michigan quarterback in 1986, the year that Harbaugh predicted a win over Ohio State, the year that that happened because Matt France missed a chippy field goal at the end of the game, and the year that Michigan then went to the Rose Bowl instead of Ohio State, 25 of Harbaugh's teammates were from the state of Ohio. 25. Quote from Kirk Herbstreet. Bo Schembechler would get five or six recruits a year, mainly from Northeast Ohio, because of his ties to Barberton. And I mean, that was always. If Michigan played Ohio State, they would have two or three on offense that started and two or three on defense. And I think Herbie's low on that. That just seemed to be a thing, you know, for a long, long time. Yeah, well, it's not the thing anymore. And uh, I'll tell you this. If Harbaugh is dumped, if he does not take the pay cut, that Michigan is certain to give him and should give him because there's no way you pay that guy $8 million a year to go 500 at best next year. Then uh, if Matt Campbell's not, if Matt Campbell's the guy to take Jim Harbaugh's place, all of a sudden you're going to see a bunch of guys from Ohio on the Michigan roster because Matt Campbell's coached at Toledo. He's a Maslin guy, Matt Camp, Mount Union guy. Matt Campbell has Iowa State in the top 10 college football playoff. So, yeah, that's going to happen. But I don't know that Campbell's going to get the Michigan job because I don't know if the Michigan job is going to be open, even though it should. You know what you need to do, Michigan. Just do it. Do it. If you can't do it, if you don't have the courage of your convictions, Ward Manual, to do it, then you're not the guy for the job as athletic director at Michigan. Uh, Ward Manual, by the way, has said they will discuss a contract extension at the end of the year. Urban Meyer 
on the uh, Fox Big Noon Kickoff show a couple weeks ago said, it's time to blow it up at Michigan. He says, I think it's time to really evaluate the culture and dig deep. There's something going on. Urban's a guy who says it's never bad players. It's bad coaching. I'm astounded. I've said this many times. Harbaugh has not done the job up there, but I don't think he has a vision. And all leaders have to have a vision. You guys probably get tired of me hearing say this. Leaders cast vision. They cast vision. They set the course. And then they do whatever they have to do to help people achieve the mission. You need lean inners, not lean outers. When you need an offensive coordinator and you call Alabama and hire Josh Gaddis because you've heard good things about him, but you've never had a relationship with him, and basically talk to him on the phone for 10 minutes and then you hire him, (laughs) that is not the way you do it, okay? I have a friend who says a ton of smart things. One of the things he said to me the other day at lunch, good information leads to good decisions. Bad information leads to bad decisions, and no information leads to lucky decisions. Bad luck or good luck? Hiring Josh Gaddis the way Jim Harbaugh hired him was bad information, and it led to a bad decision because you've got to commit to who you are. It takes three, four years to get that in, recruit to it, all that. Michigan didn't have time for that nonsense. Does Wisconsin know what it is? Yes. Does Iowa know what it is? Yes. Does Ohio State know what it is? Yes. Does Penn State know what it is? Yes. How can Michigan not know what it is? How can Jim Harbaugh be so willing? Remember his Super Bowl press conference when he was at the Niners? He was captivating because he was acting. He was acting. He was playing a part. He was playing a role. He was up there at the press conference when the Niners played the Ravens, and he was getting ready to go against his brother, John Harbaugh, and he was channeling his inner Bo Schembechler, and he told all these stories about Bo calling him when he got the job, and he was imitating Bo, and it was endearing for those of us who um, knew Bo and admired Bo, even though, you know, Bo was a Michigan guy after being an Ohio State guy, being an Ohio State assistant, being an Ohio native, but Bo understood what Michigan was, the team, the team, the team, right? And so Harbaugh told this story that Bo called him when he got the job. He goes, Jim, are, are you going to have a tight end, Jim? Are you going to have a tight end? Yeah, coach, we're going to have a tight end. Because Rich Rod didn't have tight ends. So in other words, you're going to play physical, bloody your nose, get after it football. Sure, coach. Sure, coach. I was a little kid watching you coach with my dad. And, of course, I'm going to ingrain that kind of style at Michigan. Well, he tried. didn't work. And, boom, he switched. He does not have the courage of his convictions. Does not cast vision. All right, rambled enough about Jim Harbaugh's failures at Michigan. Ohio State will be in the college football playoff if they beat Northwestern. Period. End of story. One-point win, they're in. 30-point win, they're in. They're favored by 20. Okay, I'm going to say all this. You can come back and hang me with it later if I'm wrong. Northwestern doesn't have the athletes to compete with Ohio State. Ooh, that's a real revelatory recognition on your part, Bruce. And I know their defense, they don't blitz, okay? They play coverage, and they play zone, and they make you put eight-play scoring drives together. Okay, so they'll put eight-play scoring drives together. But that's because they tackle well. Now, there's a difference. There's a difference tackling guys from Illinois, tackling guys from Purdue, Tackling guys from Iowa than there is tackling Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. It's just a difference. So we'll see if they tackle well against Ohio State, but I don't care if they do tackle well against Ohio State. If Ohio State needs to go eight plays to score, they'll go eight plays to score. If Northwestern misses a tackle, they'll go two plays to score. 
Northwestern, I cannot envision them scoring enough points offensively to beat Ohio State. They're going to have to score once or maybe twice on short field situations or just flat-out outright defensive touchdowns. Fields has thrown more picks this year than he's thrown before. Maybe they can confuse him. I just have a hard time believing Ohio State is going to kick this away. Maybe they'll play a bad first half. Maybe they'll be a rusty first half because they haven't played in a couple weeks. But we saw what happened last year after an ugly first half against Wisconsin. They dialed it in, figured it out, and asserted their superiority in the second half. And that is what I think will continue. Now, to the Browns and the uh, Ravens the other night. Very entertaining game. Cleveland Browns got to figure out a way to stop the run. Hmm. And I know Lamar Jackson is unique. Nobody else has a Lamar Jackson. I get it. But that was just not only Lamar Jackson. That was just a too many five, six, seven-yard chunks. And you you have to score when you can score. It's not like they should have held back and tried not to score as early as they did on that pass to Kareem Hunt. But I felt like they were going to lose the game when they gave the Ravens a minute and they had a timeout, and Lamar Jackson was back in the game. I was like, they're not going to hold him. And they didn't. Kudos to Tucker. He hit a big field goal, and that's a routine field goal for him. So Baltimore played with an urgency that every team plays with when they're on the cusp of playoff elimination. So Browns are fine. They acquitted themselves well. I'm not as in on the Browns long-term as Lewis Riddick is, just because I've yet to see the maturity in them. I still hate Baker Mayfield sprinting around, strutting around, preening and prancing around. I hate my quarterback doing that. It's not that I hate Baker Mayfield doing that. Only, I hate all quarterbacks doing that. I don't think quarterback is an emotional position if you want to achieve at the highest level. You need to be much more measured than that. He's That's the last thing he's got to learn. I love that he's learned that he's not the focus of the offense and that he's willing to sublimate his ego and he's willing to you know hand the ball off to Nick Chubb and all those things. He's 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 grown tremendously but knock off the jumping around and all that stuff. Knock it off. Because whatever energy you expend there is energy you don't have to expend somewhere else. And I know people say, it's just Baker, and that's what makes him great. It's what makes him a leader in his team. Okay, you can believe that. You're right. You're, You're entitled to believe it. I'm just saying, I don't see it working. And if I haven't seen it working before, then I'm dubious it'll ever work again. Uh, I have been remiss. I haven't gotten to my sponsors. Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. That's who you get on the mission if you want to send a corporate gift and you don't know what to send. You don't even have to send your assistant out to get it done. Go to HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com, plug in the promo code WeTackleLife. We'll spend 20 bucks. Spend 20 bucks. Send a sampler array, K-cup array. They have a beautiful box, 15 different K-cups. You can get all one flavor, split it, 15 different flavors, whatever you want. Send it off to somebody. Make a big impression by sending Hemisphere Coffee Roasters gift baskets or boxes or whatever. Order Hemisphere for yourself. That goes without saying. Uh, my my favorite here is uh, the Hunter's Blend. My kids are hooked on that. So thanks, Paul and Grace, for that because they never drank coffee before, but they never drank good coffee before until they got Hemisphere. So we love Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. Online, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Bengals-Steelers, that's Monday night. Uh, I assume the Steelers will win that game. Bengals are just determined to lose games as they showed against the Dallas Cowboys. Um, <clears throat> okay, so let's go to the faith portion of the podcast. We have been studying in 
my uh, adult Bible fellowship class at Northwest Chapel uh, between Hilliard and Dublin, the writings of the Apostle Peter, number one right-hand man to Jesus during his three-year ministry on earth. I'm fascinated by Simon Peter, and I'm fascinated by the Apostle Paul, who did not walk with the disciples and did not walk with Christ, but was converted to Christianity by the bright light on the Damascus Road when God spoke to him from heaven. Jesus spoke to him from heaven. And I think there's a couple interesting things here. When I think about Peter and I think about Paul, both of them were tremendously flawed men who dramatically remade themselves under the guidance of the greatest leader the world has ever known, Jesus Christ. Peter was a fisherman. He was not a trained pastor. Yet Peter, in the aftermath of Jesus' death on the cross, gave a testimony in the synagogue, and 3,000 people converted to Christianity right then. They didn't even know what it was. It wasn't even called Christianity. It was called the way. But he basically laid it out. Here we are, men of Jerusalem. Jesus Christ came to earth as a man, but he was the son of God. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for your sins. He makes it possible for you to be reconciled to God. The old way that you've been living, trying to be perfect every day, is a loser way to live. You can't ever be perfect. You can't ever be good enough. You can't ever be certain you're good enough. If you've had a thought, a feeling, an action that's apart from what God wants. There's 600 Jewish laws. You've certainly broken one of them. If you have, you're out of fellowship with God. You need a new way. Jesus provides that way. That was the essential summary of Peter's address in the synagogue. 3,000 people were freed of the burden of trying to be perfect. Similarly, the Apostle Paul We don't know much about Peter other than he was a fisherman before he became a disciple. We know a lot about Paul. We know that Paul was, he was was in the in crowd, man. Paul was a Pharisee. He was a young Pharisee, so he was like the, he was like a progeny. He was like, he was like the the LeBron James of religious officials ahead of his time. (laughs) He was amazingly motivated to what? Persecute the church, what Peter was doing, this new way, Ah, not having that, the Apostle Paul. He was supervising the arrest and killing of people who converted to the way to heaven under Jesus. And Jesus and God allowed that to bring Paul to a point where when Jesus revealed himself to Paul in the form of a blinding light on the Damascus Road, and you can read about that in the book of Acts, and then groomed Paul to do the opposite of what he was doing instead of persecuting the church, growing the church, through many, many, many missionary journeys, and he planted the first church in Europe, in Philippi, which is Macedonia, which is, that's modern, is that modern-day Turkey or Greece? I'm a little foggy on that. But he planted it in the town of Philippi, which was a scene of a great battle um, that contributed to the reign of the Roman Empire. 40,000 people, 40,000 soldiers died in the Battle of Philippi. It was a rough town. 
It's a rough, rough town. A lot of soldiers settled there. We imagine Roman soldiers. They've seen everything, man. Brutally killing people, surviving unspeakable acts of violence in battle. So a lot of those people, a lot of those guys, a lot of those soldiers settled in Philippi. And that's where God motivated Paul to start the first church. Talk about operating under great odds. And Paul wrote, is it 11 books of the New Testament? 13 books of the New Testament? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Romans, Titus, Philemon. Disputed whether he wrote Hebrews or not. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, I think I left them out. Paul's prolific writer. So I identify with that side of Paul and that, hey, that's cool. You can do some great things for the kingdom uh, with the writing talents, hopefully the writing talents that God has given me. So I was processing our lessons in Second Peter chapter 3, where Peter's writing to a church, basically saying, look, here's what you have in life as a disciple of Christ. You have a certainty of the future, you have peace, you have forgiveness of sins, you know that's where you're headed. Second chapter of Second Peter Peter says, so you got all this stuff, so keep this in mind. If you, if you have all these things, then how do you think you ought to live? It's not really a question. It's kind of an accountability statement. Basically like, you know, if you imagine a conversation you'd have with your child. I've paid for your travel sports. I've paid for your car. I've paid for your college. So do you owe me any loyalty? Now, that's different because... You want your child to obey you out of love. You want your child to be kind and compassionate and not stray from the things you've taught them out of love and respect for you. Similarly, that's what God wants. God wants you to obey because, watch this now. He wants you to obey because it glorifies him. But he also wants you to obey and to live moral lives and to evangelize to others, tell them about the good news that you've been given. Because it's best for you. Because he knows that the dabbling, immersing, involvement in, living life according to your instincts, according to your feelings, enslaves you. It does. Enslaves you to sin. Enslaves you to emptiness. How many celebrities you know that had more money than you'll ever dream about? Miserable. Train wrecks. Commit suicide. Drug addicts. Boy, if I had their money. You don't know that. I had their money, I'd be really happy. You don't know that. They have their money, and they're not happy. What do you have the potential to have that they apparently have rejected? The peace of knowing that your eternal future is settled with Jesus Christ. So I was thinking about Peter. I was thinking about Paul. I was thinking about both of them writing, and then I factor all of it into what Jesus did for me. And I think about my sins and my waywardness and my intractability and my making God wait on me until I was in my certainly into my late into my mid to late 30s and then periodically I've had seasons where I've been not as dialed in with him as I should have been and I thought about when I meet my savior the only thing that I can present as my case for eternal life is I didn't do anything but Jesus he did all of it he did it all for me I'm I'm worthy because of Jesus and that's all I need to say. But I have to believe it with all my heart, and I have to let it impact how I 
live this life because that lends authenticity to the fact that I get it. I understand it. As a kid, I used to think about the the meeting I'll have with God someday. And I had this, again, I'm a kid, so I'm not thinking very, (laughs) very smartly. I used to think of God as having this big, long legal pad. And on the left-hand side, he had all my bad things. And on the right-hand side, he had all my good things. And I formed it in my mind that, well, I hope all the good things, I hope I have like 153 good things and only 152 bad things. Point being, not those specific numbers, but I hope I have at least one more good thing than bad thing. So the scales of justice will tip at least slightly toward me being good rather than bad. And I now know that has nothing to do with it. It's all about what Jesus did. And I picture the clarity that I have about that now, if if that is indeed, and it's not, but if, if that were to be the case and God were to stand there and he were to have this legal pad and he would, and he, when he would say, okay, Bruce, I'm looking at this and uh, here's, all your, here's all your bad things. And he turns the legal pad around. And there's nothing on it. Nothing on it. And I'd be thrown by that because I'd stand there and I'd be thinking, He's God. How does he not know about mm, my language? And How does he not know that? And if I had the temerity to say, um, are you sure that's mine? <laughs> A blank one? <laughs> Just check the name? He might respond to me. And again, this is all just, I'm doing this for visual impact. He might respond to me and say, oh, oh, it's all here. It's all written right here. But it's written in the blood of Jesus. It's written in disappearing ink. Remember disappearing ink as a kid? How cool that was? Oh, I write on the paper and it disappears. That's what Jesus does at the cross. That's what he did at the cross. And when you accept that, when you claim that, when you pull that over to your side... When you win that tug of war between trying to be perfect and realizing you can't ever be perfect, and ah, I'm gonna pull that, I'm gonna pull that sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. I'm pull that over here on my side of the river, and I'm gonna hold on to that. I'm gonna tie that around me. And I'm never letting go of that. Then all of a sudden, all the things you've done that would disqualify you if you didn't have the blood of Jesus. If those things were not written in the blood of Jesus, they would not be written in disappearing ink. Thankfully, they are. Thankfully, they are. And I want to keep pounding that as long as I do this podcast, however long it is. I want to find people who can inspire you with their own stories. They may be sports people. They may not be. And um, to the extent that it helps any one, not any one, one word, any one, two words, It's worth it to me to do this. So thank you for that. Uh, Remember, my guy Stan and the people at Willis Spangler Starling, if you need an attorney, that's who you go with. I hate to tell you, the end of open enrollment was yesterday. But AUI Info can still help you through health insurance, HR issues, all those kinds of things. So I'll do a better job of getting my sponsors in early. But I wanted to spend a lot of time talking about Chris. And I wanted to let you know this will continue in some way, shape, or form. So email me and let me know what you think the shape this podcast should take. Spielman Podcast at gmail.com and 
We'll get the name turned around soon. Have a great day. Talk to you again on Friday.